wondering if you thought it was going to be another room. This is FOF class. Um, so wel welcome to the class. Glad you're here. Appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to be on page 59 in your workbook tonight on prayer and the believer. So before we start there, let me open up in prayer and we'll, we'll get started. Dear Father, we thank you for the privilege of being saved and being in your family. We thank you for the choice that you made to save us and to bring us to the point to where you, you give us the faith to believe in your Son. Help us to not forget that tonight as we go through this particular doctrine on being in your family and the privilege that we have of talking to you in prayer. Help us to understand what your word says and help us to apply it later this evening and into tomorrow as we learn from you. Guide us in truth, dear spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 8 is where we are tonight with prayer and the believer. There's a section that you can listen to from John MacArthur. It's from 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray Without Ceasing. And that's a tie-in to this particular chapter, even though we're going to be in a couple of different verses for our memory verses for tonight. So have you noticed as we work through the workbook, one chapter builds to the next it does, doesn't it? So we open up with the scriptures. It comes from God. It's true. We then learn on how to study the Bible. Chapter 2, verse, verses uh, 2 Timothy 2, 15 and into 16. And in chapter 3, we learn that as we study, God reveals himself through the scriptures and shows his characteristics and who he is and what he does and how he operates. In chapter 4, we learn through the scriptures that the God who came to earth, became a man in the person of Jesus. That was chapter 4. In chapter 5, we learned about what he did when he came, lived the perfect life, and then died on the cross. And the Bible says that he died, was buried, and rose again according to the Scriptures, tying into chapter 1. And then we looked at salvation as, as an effect of what he did on the cross. People were delivered because of what he did. And we learned that God has a sovereign work in the life of every Christian. It's His choice to save those He would save and pass by others who He did not choose to save. And then in chapter 7, we learned of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That was last week. So they build on one another as we go th through these. And what's interesting is mostly the first seven chapters it's basically on God and His sovereignty, driving home the truths of who God is and what the Bible says He does and how He functions. And today it's a, it's a turn in a parallel truth. This is more of the responsibility of the Christian. We'll look at the responsibility that you and I have to talk to the Lord, pray to the Lord, and everything is based on our theology of what we've learned about what the Bible has taught us about God is how we function in prayer to the Lord. We'll have a very familiar verse to memorize tonight. 
If you've been in church circles for any length of time, you, you've heard this quoted often. Sometimes um, in prayer meetings you'll hear it quoted, and sometimes even friends you may have will often say this particular set of verses. It's, it's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. We could stop right there. And we could talk about that. But it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These verses, it's not a call to a carefree lifestyle. To care and be genuinely concerned is one thing, and to worry is quite another. Anxiousness leads to worry. Worry is an offshoot of not trusting God. God in His sovereignty, if we believe that truth from Scripture, which we've learned that the Bible is true, He is in control of all things, including yours and my life. And when we're anxious, oftentimes it is because we don't trust Him to be sovereign in it. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. He's exhorting us Christians to pray instead of being anxious. And notice in the verses on page 59, he uses four words to describe a believer's communion with the Lord. He uses the word prayer. That's a believer's approach to God. I'm going to pray. Okay? Who am I going to pray to? I'm going to pray to God. So it's an approach to Him. Another key word there is supplication. That's requesting an answer to a specific need. Paul also talks about thanksgiving. You know, an attitude of heart should always accompany one's prayers and a request. That speaks of a definite and specific thing asked for. So these four words describe our communion with God, our intimacy with God, our talking to God, just as we would talk to a friend or a spouse or a, a mom or a dad. It's the same thing. And what's often missed is the preceding verse. Chapter 4, verse 5b, which says, The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be made known to all men, for the Lord is near. I don't think there's any greater source of spiritual stability than the confidence that God is near. You ever think of that sometimes, that He's near? We can even go the next step. He's indwelling us, as we talked about last week in chapter 7. Because of the presence of God, believers, therefore, are to be anxious for nothing. So when we become anxious, 
If we ask the Lord to help us, we'll talk more about some of the prayer requests that we can have. We can ask, Lord, would you remind me that you're near? Would you remind me of that? Because that's what the Bible says. That's what it teaches. And since we know that, there's nothing is outside of God's sovereignty. Nothing is outside of His absolute control. He rules over everything, and He permits everything, and He's always right, and He's always good, even when it's hard. That's what the Bible teaches. So when we get off base, and we have, and we will, again, unfortunately. We need to remind ourselves through asking the Spirit, Lord, you're in control of all this. And when we do, that reflects a high view of God. When we recognize He's sovereign, He's in absolute control. He's brought this to me. He's brought this to you. He knows everything about everything. He knows the unknowable. And He knows the knowable. That's a high view of God. A low view of God reflects itself in this way. Worry and anxiousness is a low view of God. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't. That's what Paul is teaching us here. So, Christian friend, this is a wonderful opportunity to remember from chapter 6, God sovereignly chose me to be saved. And prior to Him giving me the gift of faith to believe, I was not in His family. And the Bible teaches us that He has no obligation to people who are outside of His family to answer their prayers. As being saved, we're now in His family. And we can ask Him anything. And He cares. So that's a quick highlight of verses 6 and 7 from Philippians chapter 4. Wonderful, wonderful verses. They're, they're really good. Let's look in your workbook. The purpose of prayer is to express our submission to the sovereignty of God and our trust in His faithfulness. Prayer is the means by which we express all that is in our hearts to our loving and wise Heavenly Father. Prayer is not to give God information because God knows everything. Prayer brings us into reverent communion with God, worshiping Him, and this, acknowledging Him as the giver of all things. That's an important statement there. Really important statement. For example, Lamentations 3.38, Is it not for the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? He brings all things. Every experience we encounter is a decision from the Lord. Proverbs 16.33, The lots are cast into the lap and every decision is from the Lord. And what we have, we have received. Everything we have, everything we think we need, 
that we don't have has been given to us. So that last line there, acknowledging Him as the giver of all things, very good. That's what prayer helps us with. So let's look at the nature of prayer in your workbook. Roman numeral 1. And as I mentioned before, we speak to God as you would a beloved friend. In other words, there's no recipe or method to talk to the Lord. There's a model we're going to get into here in a couple pages. The Acts model. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. The Acts model. A-C-T-S. That's fine. That's good. That helps guide us. But when you think about it, is that how I'd talk to my friend? Yeah, I'd talk to my wife. No, what I'm trying to remind us all is that just, let's just talk to Him. There's no recipe to the Lord because we're in His family based on us being saved by Him and Him giving us the gift of faith to believe in His Son. And note this. The enemy will con- constantly attempt and introduce error into these two things of prayer, our understanding, how it works, and our commitment. Here's what I mean. If you've been around any type of Reformed theology for any period of time, you will have come across the sovereignty of God. We just talked about it a few minutes ago. So in our minds, we will logically think God's sovereign. He's going to do what He wants to do. and doesn't really matter. He's going to do what He wants to do. So what difference does prayer make? And so we can think that way. And we can have people come up to us and basically confirm what we're thinking. And to affect our commitment to it. So we have to work at it. We have to work at it. And here's how. Let's look at it, the nature of prayer. In letter A, for the believer, prayer is a learning experience that must be developed into a spiritual discipline. That is so true. That is so true. A simple habit and practice to help us develop and strengthen our faith in Christ is a spiritual discipline. That's from reading the Bible to praying. It's a, it's a habit I must develop and be engaged and committed to. Let's go around the room. We're going to read here, and we'll start over here with Shirley. And if it comes to your turn to read, we'll go back here after Emily and go to Mark and then come across. Go back over here to Elizabeth. Work our way back around over here. Work over with Jeremiah and back over here in the middle. We'll just work around. If you get to a verse you don't want to read, that's fine. Just let the person next to you. But we have a number of them to read. So, the nature of prayer, it's a learning experience. What did disciples ask of Jesus in Luke 11? 1? Okay, what they ask? Teach him to pray. Okay, what, what are they saying? Not sure I know how. How do I communicate to God? Teach us. Good. Romans 8, 26. Let's look at that. According to the Apostle Paul, 
who assists us in our prayers. Holy Spirit, in light of that, what should we do when we are not sure what to pray for? Ask the Holy Spirit to intercede. Lord, would you help me to pray? I don't even know what to pray. Ever, ever said that to yourself? I don't even know what to pray for here. Yeah, sometimes in a situation with someone. and Yeah, and it's hard to know even how to pray. So the Apostle Paul instructs us on what to do there. Letter B, prayer is an exchange of intimacy with God. It's, it's in a communication. Scripture tells us God is very interested in our personal struggles. Let's look at Psalm 34, 15. Yes. What does that psalm say about the Lord? Okay, we asked the Lord, would you help me to pray? What does that say about the Lord? His ears are open. His eyes are on who? The righteous. Who's the righteous? That'd be you. God is in His person simple, meaning He has no parts. God is spirit. He has no parts. But the Bible will sometimes say His eyes are on the righteous. The Bible uses that language to help us to understand that He sees and He hears. So that's a good one to remember. Lord, would you remind me that you see me now and that you hear me now? David said, from your temple, Psalm 18, from your temple you heard my voice. My cry has reached to your ears. That's David speaking to the Lord. He knows he heard him. And as I mentioned before, that God is under no obligation to hear the prayers of unbelievers. That's Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. I mean, He he can hear them. The Bible's teaching us He doesn't answer them unless God is drawing them to call on Him to be saved. What did David bring before God in prayer in Psalm 142 too? You got that, Trevor? Okay. What did David bring before God? Pardon me? His complaints. His troubles. His pain his resentment in things that are going on. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah had disobeyed God as it was in the belly of a fish. I bet he did not pray, Lord, would you help the missionaries right now? I bet he put, would you get me out of this fish? Same thing. Yeah. David did the same thing. Remember, David is the greatest king who ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus himself with all of his problems. Greatest king who ever lived. And he brought his troubles and his complaints to the Lord. How are we encouraged with that said to approach God in Hebrews 4.16? Elizabeth, yep. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain 
How are we encouraged to come to the Lord? Boldly? When? Anytime need. Anytime we want. Didn't used to be that way. Remember Queen Esther? Remember when Queen Esther was asked by Mordecai to go talk to the king? And she didn't have permission to go talk to him? Because Haman was getting ready to kill all the Jews? And she went. She didn't have permission. We always have permission to come. Page 60. Though we have the privilege of access, what caution does Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 2 advise? Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 2. So we can bring our troubles, we can come at any time. What's the caution, however? Don't be hasty. Don't be rash. That's right. Don't make a vow. Lord, if you do this, then I'll do that. The Bible says it is better to not vow than to vow. And not keep the vow. So he's speaking, don't come hastily, don't come with rash words, and don't make a vow. He's exercising caution. What comfort does 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 offer believers? First Peter 5, 6, and 7 are classic words from the Bible of encouragement. They're classic words that Victoria read. Because Peter got that from Psalm 55, 22. That's exactly where he got it. All the believers' anxieties will be cast because He cares for us. The Lord cares for us. So our Christian confidence rests in the fact that Jesus genuinely is concerned for the welfare of His children. Let's put it this way. Have you ever thought, this is such a minor thing? It's even so insignificant, it seems that it's not even worth asking about. Because it seems somewhat insignificant and menial. The Bible is telling us. He cares for us. And we can ask because He's concerned for our welfare. So that's the learning experience. That's the intimacy with God. And let's look now at the, the effectiveness of prayer. Again, we have a twin truth that's going to be taking place here. Think of railroad tracks. God's sovereignty, one side. Man's responsibility, the other. 
One side, God's sovereignty, working all things out to the according to His will because He decreed it to be so in eternity past. Isaiah 46. Man's responsibility to pray and ask God and talk to Him. Both are true. One is not more than the other. One is not less than the other. Prayer can change situations and people. We are encouraged to pray expecting results. That's interesting, isn't it? Let's look at what specifically happened in the Bible in Acts 12. Kath, I'm going to have you read verse 5 and then verse 7. Please, let's do verse 5 first. For whom did the church pray in Acts 12, 5? Who did the church pray for? Peter. Note, someone specific is in view. Instead of, well, I hope they get those guys out of prison. Well, I hope those guys come home. I don't know where they are. I guess maybe they got caught by somebody. Hope they make it home. Someone specific is in view. How did God answer their prayers in verse 7? How did God answer their prayers? Sent an angel. How did He wake him up? Hit him on the side. Had him on the side. Got him out of jail. Opened the doors. That's very specific. Let me tell you a story of our church. Some of you in here went to church when we were at uh, Prairie Hills Middle School. Um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. We had our eye on this land here on East 33rd because we knew we needed to find a church building. We look at existing buildings that were for sale and places we thought we could go and they just didn't seem to fit. They didn't fit. So we decided to pursue the land here on East 33rd. Well, it cost roughly thirty to $35,000. I don't remember the exact number. It's somewhere in there for this land. Well, we were a young church. We, we didn't have any money. We barely had enough to pay the pastors. So we prayed about, Lord, we'd like to have the land on East 33rd. We know it cost thirty dollars to $35,000. You know we don't have the money, but we're asking. So we had an offering on a Sunday night. And from that, guess how much we got? The amount to buy the land. Not 15000 to go buy land somewhere else, but that amount of money here. So what was the result of that? It was a good reminder of of we can ask the Lord. And if in His providence that is what His purpose includes, we're fine. And if it's not, we're fine. We can ask. And we specifically thanked Him and gave Him honor for that. Some people told us, well, that's coincidence. No, it was by chance. The Bible teaches there are no chances 
Everything is from God's hand. He either wills it or permits it. No chances. We knew it came from Him. Following in the section we read in Acts 12, that prayer is effective besides answers, which we were looking for, besides answers, what else does God grant to those who pray? This, these are our memory verses in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So we ask, when we get the answer, sometimes it's no. But what will happen when God grants those who pray? What do we receive? Protection. What else? Peace. What's peace? Calmness. Settledness. Contentment. It's there, because that's what the Bible said that Mark just read. And what will it also do for us? Guards, guards our heart and mind. So what's the number one thing that Satan wants to do to the Christian? Get to where in his person, mind. That's why the Bible talks about in Ephesians 6, to put on the helmet of salvation because he'll beat us over the head with the world's philosophies and ideologies. So what we have when we ask the Lord, we, he answers our prayer. He'll protect our thoughts and minds and our emotions. He'll move us away from how we feel to what we think based on what we've learned from Scripture. That's very settling. That's where calmness comes in. In your book, it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. In other words, an energetic, passionate prayers of Christian men and women have the power to accomplish much. We just don't know how the Lord uses that in His purposes and His sovereignty. The Lord takes our prayers and He uses our prayers, whichever ones He selects, to fit it into His purposes for His glory. And the others He says no to and fits it into His purposes for us to think they through, to trust Him through it when we don't get what we ask for. What does that do? Guard our hearts and minds. It's a reminder He's in control of it even when the answer is no. And when He answers our prayers, it does accomplish much. Do we change God's mind? We don't want to go so far as that a prayer changes God's mind because if we change God's mind, then that can go down the road of saying God made a mistake and saying what He was going to do. God is holy and perfect, does make mistakes. What we're saying is that God used our prayer or prayers to fit into His purposes because we asked and we get the benefit of receiving the peace which surpasses understanding. It's effective because that's what the Bible says. We don't want to go too far over to fatalism 
My prayers don't mean anything. God is sovereign. Or the other way, yeah, my prayers really changed God's mind and he was going to do this, but this, I prayed this and he changed his mind. So we want to be within the confines of what the Bible teaches about that. So prayer is a learning experience that must be developed into a spiritual discipline. It's an exchange of intimacy with God and it's effective. Now, with that groundwork laid, let's look at the practice of prayer at the bottom of page 60. Let's look at the habit of prayer or the use of prayer. Throughout the Bible, God encourages and commands believers to persevere in prayer. Luke 18, 1. Michael. The disciples were taught that they should always pray and not lose heart. Don't give up. Be persistent. Do you have anybody in your family or a coworker or friend who isn't saved? And you've been praying for that individual for a long time? Long time. And they're hasn't been an answer the way we had hoped it to be. Don't lose heart is what this is teaching us. Don't give up. Be persistent. What is God's will for believers in Christ Jesus in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Pray without ceasing. That basically means Praying that continues whenever possible. It basically means maintaining continuous fellowship with the Lord. Because you and I both know we cannot just be in every single second of every single moment praying to the Lord without ceasing because we have responsibilities to take care of our family or work or something else that's come up. We're to have that continuous fellowship whenever possible. Maybe you'll go to bed at night and fall asleep praying. It's okay. Maybe wake up in the morning and prayer's on your mind. That's okay. The Bible is teaching us that's God's will for us. And when should believers pray? In Ephesians 6.18. That's yours, Chad. When should believers pray? Always. Always. How? In the power and the sphere of the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That's Jude 20. Pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Lord, would you help me to think this through? With this individual situation, like Peter... I know you know the situation, and I'm not quite sure I know how to pray, but I th- I'm asking that you would help here, that Peter would be released from prison, knowing that you providentially put him in there. Would you re- release him? That's in the sphere of the Spirit. That's in the... Um, confines of the Bible. 
as we recite them through. Just talking to the Lord, talking it through. Page 61. The Bible is God's handbook on prayer. In it, you will discover many guidelines to help you develop the practice of prayer. What did Jesus teach His disciples to expect if they persisted in prayer in Luke 11, Did Jesus teach His disciples to expect if they persisted in prayer? We'll get an answer. They'll receive what they're asking for. It will be given to them. Instead of a father, when a son is hungry, He doesn't give him a scorpion. He gives him food. And God obviously surpasses an earthly father. He knows exactly what to give. So when we ask, we should expect, and it will be given under the sphere of God's providence. So when asking for something, a question we can ask ourselves, very practical, very tangible, Lord, whatever you bring, am I willing to accept it? Is this what you bring? Right? Yes. He's always right. Would you help me to accept it? I'm expecting to get it. I can ask to give, ask for it. I can persist in asking. But what am I willing to accept? That's where the calmness that comes in or that will surpass all understanding will come in. Resting in God's sovereignty. He knows where it's going when I don't. You ever been in a situation where you kind of think you know where something's going to go? Could be at work. Could be in your neighborhood. Could be something in the family. And it's not going very well, but you think it's going to go in a certain direction, and then it turns, and it twists into something you didn't expect. Yeah. That's where your theology comes in, and what you and I have been taught. God always knew that. 
And he's showing us what we believe about him and what we're willing to accept. You have a um, understand praying quote in there from John MacArthur. I'm not going to read that, but that's very rich. And he wrote that there in your workbook. We'll pass that and go down to John 15, 7. What does Jesus teach as a requirement for answered prayer? What's a requirement for answered prayer? Okay, let's make a connection. I ask, I'm expecting, God hears it, there's a requirement. What is it? Remain, abide. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's that mean? Continue in Him, or put another way, be in His will. Or knowing that words like and verses like um, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When scripture comes to mind, I'm being conditioned by what the Bible says and it's controlling my mind. That's how to abide when I submit to it. That's a requirement. That's remaining and abiding. You know, basically, effective prayer is based on faith in Christ. That means who He says He is, what He said He's going to do, promised eternal life. That He's going to send another helper, Holy Spirit. That He's going to return again. Do I believe it? Faith in Christ encompasses everything He said and what He's going to do. And that's where we can abide in Him. What is our confidence as we pray according to 1 John 5, 14? And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, will, He hears us. What's our confidence as we pray? He knows He hears us. We know we're to expect it. We have a requirement. What's our confidence if we ask according to His will? His will. What's His, what's His will? Well, first of all, His will is that ever, the people be saved. So if a person isn't saved, they're obviously not in God's will. Another one is to be sanctified, First Thessalonians 4. We're to be set apart from sin. We're to abstain from immorality. That's God's will. God's will is that we might suffer as well. So naturally we discern God's will through the Scriptures and ask accordingly. Then that tie back into Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 2, not to be rash with our requests. Let's not just rush in and start asking for vows. We think through, okay, according to the Scriptures, 
we can discern God's will, and I'm going to ask accordingly. So we think it through. That's the point. We're thinking it through. Next is the Lord's pattern for prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. You know, many, many people recite this prayer, but it wasn't given for that purpose to recite it. Have you ever noticed that after the Lord gave it, none of the apostles recite the prayer in the, in the um, epistles? That wasn't its purpose. He gives us principles. He's, he's showing us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Basically, the, the last half of the prayer ties into the first that are said. The last three are the means from the first ones that are said. We honor the Lord when we pray that His will be done to bring His kingdom down to earth, which, by the way, is the second coming. In one sense, the kingdom of God is in the sphere of believers with the Holy Spirit in their heart. That's God's kingdom now within the heart of the believer. But His kingdom is coming when He returns as King. Lord, come soon. And that the Lord would, you know, pardon our sins, provide our food, protect us from temptation. Those are good prayers, not only for us, but for our children and our grandchildren. Lord, this is a dangerous world. This is a, can be sometimes a scary place. So we ask the Lord, would you protect my family? End of the day, thank you, Lord, for protecting my family. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Would you take care of my kids as they grow up and they're going to start hearing things? And they're not going to understand? Would you help them? Would you, when they hear something, would you prompt them to come and talk to us? Would you protect them from temptation? Would you help them what's on their screens, on their phones, or at school? Would you help them to know enough to say no to somebody who says, hey, you want to look at my phone? I want to show you something. Would you help them? Those are good prayers. We have the pattern for prayer right here. The Lord has given it to us. And you know, when you think about it, there are so many things to pray about. We can't possibly think of everything to pray for. But we can think of many things to pray for and we can ask. Lord, would you remind me of the things I haven't even been thinking of to pray for because I'm thinking of something else. I don't even know what to pray for. Yeah, my family and my friends. Would you help me? Right? Talking to him as a, as a friend and as a father. Page 62. Let's look up some verses and some hindrances to answered prayer. Psalm 66, 18. What's the hindrance? 
sin? Where? In my heart? What do I have? Iniquity? Okay, let's tie a couple things together. Make something very, very easy. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus that you give thanks for everything. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. When I am unthankful and complaining, I have iniquity and sin in my heart, and that hinders my prayer. Do not complain, do not grumble. It's Philippians 2. That's very tangible. That's a very tangible thing. When there are cross conversations and hard circumstances with people or work or neighbors or friends. Am I thankful in those things? The Bible says, give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I have iniquity in my heart. It hinders my prayers. James 4.3. What else? What's another hindrance? Wrong motive. Asking wrong, wrongly. For what? I not only am asking for something wrong, what do I want it for? My own, yeah, my own passions and pleasures. Isaiah 59, 1 to 2. Let's jump in over here to Rick. Okay, Isaiah, Isaiah 59, 1 to 2, some hindrances to answered prayer. Whenever you're ready, Rick. okay. Take your time. Yeah, 59 verses 1 to 2. Good. It ties into James 4 3. What's the hindrance? Iniquities. What does it do? Separates from the Christian to the Lord. Let me give you some other hindrances that I hope will help. Doubt. When I doubt God is a hindrance, meaning I don't think He can do that. Laziness. 
I'm not even going to pray about that. Yeah, I'm just not going to deal with that. Laziness. Indifference. Yeah, I don't really care. And the Lord knows the indifferent heart. And we oftentimes will experience an indifferent heart when there's a non-caring attitude. Don't really care if it goes either way. Kind of praying out of obligation. Deceit is a hindrance. I've deceived myself. How? Not studying Scripture. Thinking I'm sufficient on my own. Sufficiency in oneself is deceitfulness. I think I can do it. I'm okay. I don't need to pray. Unbelief is a hindrance. I'm going to pray that my family member gets saved, but I don't think that's going to happen. Because I see the pattern of their life. And they have hard hearts. That's unbelief. That's saying we don't think God can do it. Unforgiveness is a hindrance. When I have unforgiveness with someone else and I haven't confessed it and asked the Lord to help me to forgive. If we harbor unforgiveness, we've forgotten that we've been forgiven and that God has forgiven us everything. Are we not to do the same as the Lord has done for us? Yeah. This may be one of the most common things is self-righteousness is a hindrance. Ties into self-sufficiency. I'm right on that. My confidence is in myself. I know the situation. I don't need any help there. I can do it on my own. Leonard Ravenhill in the 1900s, he was a friend, by the way, of A.W. Tozier. He said this, quote, The self-sufficient, Do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. Tying into those other hindrances. Also on page 62, here's the important areas of prayer. I said earlier in our class not to have a recipe or a method of prayer, but there can be something in our minds that help guide us through prayer. And that's this model here, is the Acts model. It's good to use, but not to get so tied into it, we start acting like that's the only way to pray to the Lord. You know, we want to recognize who He is. Lord, You know all things. You've always known all things. You are the Lord God omnipotent and You're holy. You're reigning over everything. Nobody's in control of anything. You're in control of everything. You have a purpose for where everything is going with the way we see the world and even in my family. Your decree puts everything in place and you have an end in mind and you're going to make it happen. And I confess that I haven't been 
thinking that and I have, I've been thinking it on my own. I confess my sin of not looking to you. Thanks for being patient with me. Thanks for being patient with my family. Thanks for their being patient with me. Thanks for feeding us today. A lot of people don't even eat today. The Western world has so much food, we store it in shelves. And sometimes we don't get to it, we throw it away. But you have provided so much for us. I want to ask you, Lord, for a couple things. You already know what I'm going to ask. But I know the prayer of the upright is your delight. And you like it. I'm asking that you would save this person in my family. I'm asking that my grandkids would be saved. I'm asking that my and you just go through the and you go through the list. It helps guide with what the Bible is teaching us. That's why these fundamental of faith doctrines are so important. Because if I don't have them in place or solid. We meander. We look at philosophies from maybe what the world is teaching us or what education has taught us in the past and we've put our hands on it so much we don't even recognize it's not even of the Lord. So the practice of prayer is to persevere in prayer, use the Bible as God's handbook on prayer so we can practice it and watch for hindrances. And Roman numeral number three, the struggle of prayer. Anybody have a hard time praying? Of course we do. We can always think, well, I could sure pray enough. Let me encourage you not to get caught there, but to encourage you to pray when it comes to mind. It's like reading the Bible. We can always read the Bible more. You can always pray more. The issue is that prayer is hard work. That's the idea. It can be hard work. And that should not keep us from praying even when it requires sacrifice. Luke 6, 12. We are here at Luke 6, 12. Do you have Luke 6, 12? You do not. Surely I'm going to jump over to you to Luke 6, 12. How long did Jesus pray? before he selected the 12 apostles. Please. How long? Isn't it interesting? He prayed all night before he selected the 12. Going back to our study in uh, chapter 4, the person of Christ, he's the God-man. He's God himself. But he didn't exercise the attributes of his divine nature. So he laid that aside and he went all night long and in his human faculties, Lord, I'm asking for help on who to select. I don't know how it works. I I don't know. I don't know when it came into his mind to select the 12. Remember what he said to Nathaniel? 
I saw you in the tree. Remember when he said that to him? Okay, so the Spirit of God had impressed on his mind Nathaniel. But he asked the Lord for help. Who are going to be the men who follow me? He prayed all night. Samuel Chadwick said this, Hurry is the death of prayer, quote unquote. Like the Lord prayed all night, help us to not be in in a hurry just to get done with it. That's why it's hard work. And everybody's time of prayer is different. It's different. We're different people. We pray about different things. Our experiences are different. What we have in common, obviously, is the Lord Himself. And the, the Scriptures that teach us how to pray. The point, that we pray. And we're going to have to work at it. That's why it's a spiritual discipline. It becomes a habit. They say, don't know how accurate this is, it takes to start a new habit, a new pattern, approximately 30 days before it becomes normal. It becomes the new normal. 30 days. So for the first month of starting a practice, could be losing weight, in this case prayer, it takes a month for it to become somewhat natural. So give yourself time to start this practice of prayer. Describe the intensity of Jesus as He prayed in the garden in Luke twenty two forty four. Emily, you got that? How did He pray? Stress. He prayed with extreme stress. Well, of course, we know why. He's about ready to go to the cross. What should believers be careful to do when we devote ourselves to prayer? Colossians 4 2. Mm-hmm. What should believers be careful to do? Vigilant, Mark read, watchful, thanksgiving. Be alert. We need to be aware. Need to persist in it. We want to watch for spiritual drowsiness caused by attention of the world. We want to watch for the things that draw our attention away. What am I going to do next? Oh, yeah, I've got this appointment coming up. Oh, yeah, I did that today. That was good. Let me relive that. The tension of the world can cause spiritual drowsiness, is what the Puritans called it. So we have to persevere in it, be vigilant with thanksgiving. Even when we are frustrated or discouraged, we can still approach God in prayer with letter B. Why was David discouraged in Psalm 13, 1-2? Why was he discouraged? Who was chasing him down? Saul. What was his family doing to him? Absalom wanted to usurp his authority. 
Amnon raped his daughter. Adonijah wanted to be king after he died. He didn't want Solomon to have it. Saul's chasing him around. So David's been praying. Why was he discouraged? Situations were not answered. They were the same. His prayers weren't answered yet. What was David's complaint in Psalm 22 too? What was he complaining about? Prayed all day, didn't hear anything. God, you don't even hear me. Again, this is David. And he, he knew better. But that was when we become frustrated or discouraged, we can still... Approach the Lord. Page 63, letter C. Prayer is governed by God's sovereignty and His purpose determines His answer to our prayers. This is so important. Prayer flows from doctrine. John Calvin. He's right. Prayer flows from doctrine, from teaching. What has God said He's done in the past? What is He doing now? By the way, He's calling out people to be saved. It's called the church age. What's He going to do? He's going to return. He's going to set up His kingdom. And it's going to happen. So knowing that in His sovereignty and His purpose, it will determine how He answers prayer. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9. Okay, we have to understand what's going on here to, to get the gist of what Eric read there. The Lord didn't want Paul to boast in himself. That's verses 5 and 6. Why? Paul had seen a vision of heaven. He had been taught personally by the Lord Jesus himself. Paul healed people. So God gave him a constant reminder of his weakness. That is what? Incessant temptation. Dogged opponents. Chronic health issues. And so on. God in his sovereignty gave that to Paul. Eric read. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. What did Paul pray for with all that said? What did he pray for? 
That's right, he, he did. And on top of that, he said, would you take away thorn in the flesh? Which is for another night's study. Would you take it away? He's human. He didn't like it. How many times did he pray for the thorn in the flesh to be taken away from him? Three times. So it's not like he said it once. He asked three times. Did he receive what he, was, he asked for? Why? He did. God showed his power. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the mark of a Christian when we can say God's grace is sufficient and shows the level of maturity of where we are in the Christian life to accept that when it's hard. Why? So God alone can be praised. God alone. So instead of removing the problem, the Lord gave him grace. Gave him grace. Mark 14, 35 to 36. Let's read that. What did Jesus ask the Father concerning His hour of suffering? Now take it away, remove it. The cup of suffering could be His human suffering, His scourging, His death, more likely God's wrath against sin, God's wrath against sin. Would you take that from me? You know, it's interesting that his request was made on the assumption that the Father was able to grant it. But the issue remained, it was God's will to do so. What was the Lord willing to do? His Father's will, of course. His Father's will. And that's where it comes to the application as we close out our chapter. What are we willing to accept when we ask the Lord? That's the idea. says on the final page of our workbook, surrender your request to God's wise and loving plan, acknowledging your willingness to receive His answer with thankfulness. Hard to do sometimes, but we can even ask the Lord, would you help me to accept it and to be thankful? Remind me of these things. Okay, questions or comments? I have not heard that before, Rick, so I don't know what he is um, talking about specifically, so I don't know how to answer your question. Okay. 
Well, of course, there's the Lord's Prayer in uh, John 17. That's his chapter. The Lord uh, is praying to the Father right before his um, betra- uh, betrayal and crucifixion. So it might have been talking about that. That's a great model to look at as, as you think about praying. Read John 17 and you'll see the Lord praying there. Okay, let me pray for us. Dear Father, we know that you hear our prayers. We know you care. And we're thankful that you do and that you love us. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember some of the things you've reminded us and taught us again tonight about the importance of prayer. Remind us to ask you for help when we struggle with it and give us the grace to to pray when we aren't inclined to so that because we have the privilege of coming to you and lord remind us why would we want to go any place else to find help in our time of need thank you father for saving us and giving us the grace through this day. We ask for more grace as we leave. We pray in Jesus' name.